You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we'll plug into Mike McDaniel's Wednesday media availability and hear all the pertinent information heading into this Week 17 critical game in Foxborough, and we'll also get to the five things I think heading in to week number 17. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time That's Miami Dolphins. So we heard from head coach Mike McDaniel just moments ago. And of course, we'll talk a lot about quarterback Tua Tungavailoa. He was first asked, is Tua in the building? Will he be ruled out for Sunday? Here's head coach Mike McDaniel. In regards to Tua, it's a very, um, I've been advised by um, medical professionals that, uh, it's uh, critical that that uh, Tua worries only about um, the day that he's currently in and nothing else. Um, he he is in the building, um, but beyond that, um, it's uh, as medical professionals will will tell you, um, any added uh, pressure, any added. Um, sort of uh, uh, anything beyond that day does not behoove um, the process at all. So I'll take that very serious and and um, worry about his um, health first and foremost and take the advice of uh, uh, the medical professionals. Coach did confirm for us that Tua did in fact suffer a concussion in the game against the Packers. He next was asked, will Teddy Bridgewater be the starter for the game on Sunday? A couple of times pressing coach to this question. Here's his answer about Sunday's starter. Um, you know, the, the, the whole idea of taking day-to-day is kind of rough on coaches who have to plan for you know, a bunch of people. So um, the, the approach that I'm unequivocally taking um, – Today, you know, I was on the phone. I met with him yesterday. I met with Teddy yesterday. I was, um, you know, exchanging ideas and, and talking through some stuff all the way till like 10:15 last night. Um, there was his bedtime, um, and so um, moving forward today, and you know, the whole team's approach is uh, Teddy Bridgewater is the starter. Um, this is why, you know, we uh, thought it was so vital. To, to go um, uh, after him in free agency. This is why he's um, done such a diligent job uh, during the course of the season um, with his own uh, uh, injuries and, and such to be prepared for this opportunity. And I know the team's um, very excited, feel very fortunate to have him and um, him to get his opportunity that he's totally prepared for. Coach Next was asked if he can see if foresee a scenario where he would add an extra layer of caution once to a clears the concussion protocol. Here's Coach on that. 
you know, again, I think uh, for me to speak totally outside the lines of, you know, stuff that's for medical professionals and to himself, I think that's a layer of pressure either way. Um, I don't pretend to know um, what that feels like uh, to adhere to somebody else's expectations in some way, shape, or form. I'm just worried about his health on a day-to-day basis, and we'll take that step, whatever step that is next, whenever that next step is. But um, beyond that, I'd, I would feel irresponsible to go, go even think about if or what or whatever. That's, that's, uh, that's taking a lot of non-expertise in my own hands. This next response is my favorite response from Coach in this press conference, maybe since he got here, because I feel the same way he felt in the beginning about the way the question was posed. Do you need to hear there's no long-term risk before you put him back out there again? Here's Coach. Uh, Yeah. uh, (laughs) um, This is a human being that I'm very, very much like all all players. Um, uh, I'll, I'll do what the... Um, the medical experts advise me to do, and I'm quite certain they're not going to advise me um, in the wrong direction when it it has to do with his uh, his health and in regards to that. But that's uh, again something that I'm not even going to. I'm not I'm not gonna go in direct conflict with what the uh, doctors have told me to to do, which is just to worry about one day at a time and not project any sort of absolute to, you know, have him get, get information secondhand of whatever thing that this this is just a day at a time process that his health is the first foremost and only priority. Next coach is asked, were you able to pinpoint when the concussion occurred? The day after the game, so Monday, there was some, you know, upon reviewing the f- film, we we had some questions, um, kind of feel like, you know, we, we had an idea um, that there's, hey, did, did something happen in this portion of the game? Question them. Um, once we got really, uh, you know, we, we continued to question him, and once we got some information back, we're like, "You need to go see the see the doctor." So to say with ab- absolute certainty, um, the you know that it was this, that, or otherwise, it, it was just there were some things um, that caused us to really prod, and um, as a result, we felt like he needed to see. Um, medical professionals. Yeah, I think those uh, that fourth quarter performance makes a lot more sense uh, now. Next coach was asked, what caused you to prod after that tape review with Tua, or before Tua got here, I should say. Coach did later clarify that it was on the tape, not with Tua. Reviewing Tua's game tape was when he realized there were some inconsistencies there. What caused you to prod? Here's coach on that. This specifically had to do with consistencies of things that I studied daily that um, on tape, um, which, which um, provoked some, uh, uh, you know, direct questioning um, 
with a, a high degree of concern. If the earlier one wasn't my favorite answer from Coach McDaniel, this one was, what's it like for you personally, someone you're so close with, to see him go through this? Terrible. I wanted to leave that pregnant pause in there for you guys because we never heard Coach give a one-word answer before. I think people expected him to give you more, but that's what else do you need? Next, he was asked about Teddy Bridgewater. Here's Coach on Teddy and moving forward. It, the, you know, the, the season as the journey has gone for the team has given us some definitely um, moments of adversity and, and turmoil. One, one of the, you know, our, our whole team was very excited um, for Teddy, the, uh, the Jets week. And, you know, first play of the game, uh, we all know what happened. So I think with regard to um, in professional football, at the quarterback position, um, you know, there's two ways you can go with it as a starter for um, a game when you have the entire week to prepare. Uh, one way, the pressure gets to you, and, um, it, you know, sometimes it makes you worse. Um, that's not Teddy. Teddy uh, thrives on, on those moments and, and really was, um, I, you know, I don't think we've – I know the team has seen exactly, uh, you know, what what he was prepared to do that particular game when given the entire week to to um, prep, and I think that it, it is a um, big deal for uh, you know guys that that enjoy the moment, enjoy the camaraderie, enjoy the leadership, enjoy everything about um, being a starting um, quarterback, and and he's. Um, I'm happy for him to get the opportunity to fully prepare um, uh, for for a game that the team the team needs needs him for. So um, we're very fortunate to have him and excited for his opportunity. Let's finish up here. When Coach was asked, "How does the team stay focused when something like this is going on?" Obviously, one of your brothers is down in, in an injury that is nothing to be you know to scoff at, or even you know as, as Coach has mentioned, just advising to listen to the medical professionals. How does the team stay focused with an injury that, you know, is not your run-of-the-mill uh, typical injury? It's hard to – you're talking about the opinions of, you know, an entire locker room is a lot of people. I think overall um, there's so much investment within this, this season. We've – you know, the, they chose to have the ambition, um, the drive, and they, they – it was – because of them, all their collective work, that we were able to um, be in a fortunate situation of, uh, you know, having seven wins at the bye. Um, it's, there's way too much investment for, uh, and, and then, you know, going through a month of December where, you know, the only silver lining is there, there was no, no short change of investment by that, the whole team. Um, and if, if you're going to lose four straight, you want it to be in, uh, in, in those 
type of terms that you're going all in and then um, trying to learn from each and every game um, without blinking. Much, much easier said than done. Um, it's one of the reasons, um, you know, that it it's so difficult is the, the emotional investment. I think these guys, um, because of that, um, have a, a team that's playing against them. Uh, everything that we've set out to do is right in front of us. And I can tell you one thing, the New England Patriots don't care about our feelings. They're very aware about that. So um, they, I, I see a very focused and determined group that recognizes the opportunity within the adversity. Well, there you go. Uh, different press conference than we're used to, I think, for Dolphins fans. <laughs> how, do, how do seasons tend to always <laughs> invent new ways to, to head in this direction? But there's a couple of games left, so hopefully Miami can put this behind them and move forward and find a way to find a victory uh, on Sunday because the league doesn't stop. The games don't stop. You still play the games, even though, you know, we feel terrible for, for the guy. And as you heard head coach, Mike McDonald say there, uh, if you want to watch this press conference in its entirety, go ahead and check out the team YouTube channel. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back on the other side. And we'll get to the five things I think heading into week 17. That's next drive time podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield brought to you by auto nation. Segment number two here on a Wednesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. And we're going to kick this thing off here with the five things that I think I just thought McDaniel's press conference on this day was more important to put in the front of the show. So there you have it. But the first thing I want to talk about is the value of Tua Tungavailoa and Teddy for the hometown. There was this whole debate last week, and it was a dumb one, as football debates on social media tend to be, that the drop-off from Jalen Hurts to Gardner Minshew was minuscule. And I'm a huge Minshew guy, obviously, go Cougs, baby, but I'm also not dumb. Well, not when it comes to football, I think. Most other stuff, sure, like math, 9 times 5 is 75. But the value that Hurts adds in a loaded offense isn't really tangible, or is it? Because the Eagles did score 34 points in their loss to the Cowboys, and that will empower the take that Hurts' weapons are carrying him, great offensive line, blah, 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 blah. If you can't see it for yourself on the tape, then I don't know what to tell you. I guess I'm just exhausted by the discourse. I think I'm just exhausted by social media. I saw the other night someone tweeted that they had just wanted to go back to enjoying the sport opposed to arguing with strangers about Tua and Justin Herbert on Twitter. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel. Did anyone else avoid social media all week so far? I just couldn't do it, but I do find coming here on the podcast where, you know, I guess it's just myself, so an echo chamber, is a little cathartic by having, you know, a more, in my opinion, level-headed discussion that's not based on firing everybody and replacing everybody after one performance you didn't like, or four performances for that matter. And I guess I get the type of fandom at a certain age. I was that way as a teen and in my early 20s as well. Now, well, I think that having a mortgage and daycare bills makes your perspective a little more realistic. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But anyway, what I came here to say was this. Three passes have turned some people's opinion on the quarterback, and man, I just can't. Like, I'm laughing while writing this. What I think is really funny is it's the same, like, faction of people, right? The people that gobble up social media engagement for hating on the kid. Like, cool. You are literally reenacting the plot of Children of the Corn. Hope that's fulfilling. And not to mention, like, what is it for? 
for a non-associated account, what do Twitter likes get you? I get from Cowherd's perspective because it generates buzz around his show and it'll make his producers happy. He has an agenda and that's totally fine. Otherwise, why? But again, in any way, it's my go-to phrase here, all of those takes are from the same company, right? The people that were convinced and tried to convince you that Tua could not play in this league, that he was going to look like what Zach Wilson looked like this season. That is what you built up Tua to be the entire summer, the next Tim Tebow in terms of his NFL production and longevity. But then he went on a run where he played some of the best football in the entire NFL this year, regardless of position. And guess what? He's still the league's top-rated passer, so you can pound your chest and say that one quarter of football or a bad month justifies your take, but we all know it's not. He's already outperformed what you said his limitations were, so with all sincerity, like, get all the way the F out of here with that noise. I'm tired of it. He's still a highly, highly skilled passer who sees things others don't. He still has tremendous accuracy. Go back and watch the long waddle touchdown again. Go watch the third and 14 conversion to Sherfield. Those things just happened three days ago. He's still, again, the league leader in passer rating. You want to know the list of quarterbacks who have led the NFL in passer rating going back to 2001? The last 20 years? Rodgers, Rodgers, Tannehill. And I don't want to hear about Tannehill not being a good quarterback. He's been a very good quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. That's it. End of story. Breeze, Alex Smith, Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, Tony Romo. Here's our one outlier. The only outlier, Nick Foles. Rodgers, Rodgers, Brady, Breeze, Rivers, Brady, Manning, 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 McNair, Pennington, Warner. Also, if Tua maintains the league lead in passer rating at age 24, he'll be the youngest quarterback to lead the NFL in passer rating since 1984. Do I need to tell you who that was? Same guy that lost five games in a row in 1993. And real quick, to put a bow on this, when the Eagles went from Hurts to Minshew, the line changed by four points. When the Jets announced that Mike White was returning, the line against the Seahawks changed by four points. And that's not as much of a white Mike White thing as it is a Zach Wilson literally cannot do it at this level thing. Guess how much it's changed since the news about Tua entering concussion protocol for Dolphins and Pats. Five points. So I think that should tell you all you need to know. And frankly, I thought we learned that back in weeks four through six, what life without Tua looked like. Maybe that didn't happen and I just dreamt it. I don't know. Don't get me wrong. I'm just, I'm as angry at the Dolphins as you are. And we'll get to that later in a later thing, I think. But man, this vitriol is pointed at the wrong dude. He's a great player who's played great this year. And I'm just tired of it. Now, we have to go win a football game regardless of who plays quarterback on Sunday. Stop the bleeding, man. We're going to finish this with a, a message to the fans who are just absolutely grieving this team right now, you know, ahead of a huge game. But man, go get a win and we can start to heal and maybe even end the season with a positive note. And how cool would it be for Teddy, if it is Teddy on Sunday, for his one win as a Dolphins quarterback to be the one that propels his hometown team back into the playoffs? I'm here for that. Thing number two, running game, you're up. Look, as long as we have Tyreek and Jalen, I'm always for throwing the football. I think excusing those guys from the game plan entirely is a terrible idea. Just look at how they can change a game in a blink, for instance. And now both are well on track, Tyreek has already done it, to surpass Mark Clayton's total. Waddle needs just 129 yards in two games. That's 64 and a half yards per game, and he's averaging 84 per game heading into the week. So as long as he's just close to his average production, he'll approach 1,400 yards. Now, and we'll do this more in depth tomorrow on the preview podcast. But the Dolphins and Patriots have played the same game the last five times out. 
Average NFL games feature 10 and a half possessions per game, 10 to 11 in that range. Sometimes you get a lot more, sometimes you get a handful less. And if we're talking Dolphins and Patriots this decade, the 2020s, you always get a handful less. Total possessions by game, removing kneel down possessions at the end of the game. 2020 opener, 16 possessions. 2020 rematch, 16 possessions. 2021 opener, 16 possessions. 2021 in Miami, 17 possessions. 2022 opener, 15 possessions, and that includes a two-play fumble touchdown drive. So literally 16 possessions per game, eight possessions per team, two and a half less than the average. And that means we got to be efficient, got to score in the red zone, and you got to win a turnover battle, and we got to run the football. In those last five games against the Patriots, these are the rushing totals. 87 yards back in 2020 season opener. That was a loss, just 3.2 yards per carry. Not a good rushing day. 2020 second game, 250 yards, six yards per carry. Obviously a win. 2021, the first game, 74 yards, 3.2 yards per average. They won that game, but it basically was saved by a a miracle defensive stop and a forced fumble at the end of the game. The rematch that year, 195 yards for the Dolphins on the ground, averaging 4.5 a rip, and that's a victory. Earlier this year, just 3.6 yards per rush, but 78 on the ground in a victory. When your quarterback's not part of the equation, which he might not be in this one, going to be more important. So, That's why you got to run the football. Number three, playing coverage over blitzing. I think we might be discovering a pretty effective defensive approach. At minimum, it's another way to really keep your variety, keep offenses guessing, and constantly changing looks. That's what you have to do at this level, right? Quarterbacks are just too good to run the same thing over and over again. But there's one area that has really yielded some nice results recently, particularly on Sunday. It's obviously a team effort, but it's also a nice nod to some of the guys up front that are constantly creating pressures from this situation. That's rushing four or fewer. Against the Packers, Rodgers had a pass rating over 111 against blitzes, but against non-blitzes, four or fewer rushers, seven for 15 with 58 yards, 3.9 yards per pass, and a pick. That's a 29.3 passer rating. There's also a sack in there, by the way. And the interception came on a pressure from a non-blitz situation. In total, four-man rushes produced pressure seven times, and on those seven, Rodgers didn't complete a pass. And he did have a scramble first down, but he was 0 for 3 with a pick. Now, Mac Jones will not be mistaken for, you know, Josh Allen or Aaron Rodgers from a mobility standpoint, but I think his very best trait is his pocket management, stepping around pressure and finding a new lane to operate from and delivering the ball accurately. So a good mix helps for sure, but when Mac was when Mac has a quick answer, that's when he's at his best. And we're getting into the preview here a little bit, so I'll dial it back. In fact, we'll go ahead and just use that for a teaser for the, three, the Thursday show. But to put a bow on it, I think we really need both on Sunday, our best blitz package and our best effort on non-blitzes. We might need the defense to go on the road and win us a game here. This Pats offense has not been good this year. The quarterback has not played well. Please, guys, step it up for us. We need you. Let's go ahead and take break number two and come back on the other side and finish up real quickly with things I think number four and five. That's next Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Wednesday, the weird bridge between Christmas and New Year's Day is here. We're talking all things Miami Dolphins, five big picture items. Number four here are the scenarios. And I keep thinking a lot about this, the different ways for us to still make it in. Currently, the favorite for the seven seed, given our one game advantage, and then playing the two teams that could threaten to get in has its pros, but it also has its cons because they can beat you and double dip with wins and giving you a loss. But here are the routes in. You win both games, you're in. That's it. Nothing else matters. 
beat New England, Jets lose to Seahawks, you're in. Week 18 doesn't even matter. You can't even improve your standing at that point, most likely. Lose to New England, and the Jets-Seahawks game becomes irrelevant, but then beat the Jets in Week 18 and get the Bills a win over New England. That's been a tough game for the Patriots in recent years, but that's the position you'd put yourself in if you lost five straight games. That's how it goes. We'll see. I think the Chiefs will beat the Broncos handily, which keeps that race for the one seed alive, which is what we need if we don't win on Sunday. My honest expectation, and I'm sorry to drop this hammer on you, this team has made me wrong a lot in the last month, so maybe that trend will continue. But I think this is going to happen this way. <laughs> Patriots win on Sunday. Jets and Seahawks doesn't matter. We beat the Jets in Week 18, and then the Bills demonstrate some showmanship by letting the Pats win that finale so they can get in over us because I got Buffalo beating Cincinnati and that would put Buffalo one win away from clinching the top seed and maybe the Chiefs will back it down in their week week 18 game once they see Buffalo with the lead or the fact that they can't overtake them so you could get some showmanship and some gamemanship by letting the Patriots win that finale so that when the Bills get the two seed if that happens that they would then play the Patriots in the wild card round of the playoffs and I hope that doesn't happen we just can't have Buffalo locked into the two seeds. So you kind of want to see them win against the Bengals and then just see what happens from there. And the Chiefs have to win as well. Because I think if you go into week 18, knowing they're the two seed and knowing that their performance impacts their wild card opponent, well, I think they'd rather play, they'd rather play the Patriots than us. Man, I sure, <laughs> it sure feels like the only way the offseason is going to be at all bearable is if we get in, Tua comes back, plays well in a wild card round upset. That's kind of what I'm clinging to here, man. It's sad, but again, I'm prepared for the absolute worst and an entire off-season of fraud talk, and we told you so, and we Thing I think number five is that it's different but the same. And if that happens, we've missed the playoffs and the freaking Patriots get in, or even the Jets, man, time to walk out into the ocean. And with that, I wanted to address the fan base here for a moment. I want non-Dolphins fans to turn the volume down so we can have a private moment here. And if you're new to the fan base, maybe you're a Bama supporter who joined up with Tua and Waddle. Maybe you're 12 years old and you don't really know the real pain yet. Well, I guess if you're 12, you probably have just a vague recollection of a playoff appearance frankly I recall that 2016 game in Pittsburgh very well I remember the 20 uh, the 2008 game against the Ravens very well I convinced myself in both of those if we just punch in that touchdown before the half in Pittsburgh make it a one score game opposed to Matt Morris fumble maybe we come back in that game I convinced myself hey if Ted Ginn cleanly handles the end around against the Ravens we probably win that game too in 2008 well 2009 but 2008 season but man when you tether yourself to something as closely as I have as we have collectively right Gosh, it hurts when it goes against you. And when it's something you don't have any control over either. We're all a little bit insane for putting that much emotional stock into something out of our control entirely, right? Because I think about my monologue last year where I said, every time this team is about to bring you some joy and some hope, they seem to find a way to twist the knife even harder. It's almost comical how predictable it's been the last 20 years. And we're not there yet in 2022, but it sure feels grim at this moment, especially given the quarterback news earlier in the week. Monday, I blazed through 12 stages of grief, probably about eight of those after McDaniel informed us on Tua uh, acceptance. I mentioned my expectation of what's going to happen the final two weeks, and anything more will be a nice surprise. I know we all say we won't get this invested again. We won't put ourselves in a position to be let down again. But then I think back to the clock hitting triple zeros against Buffalo in week three, or I think about Tua to waddle in Baltimore to win it. I think about going Nanners in the first half against the Packers or the first play against the Niners or the touchdown to Tyreek that put us ahead in Buffalo. Better than sex, like better than that. And the converse of that is the despair that we all feel right now. Is the ride worth it? Right now it's not. No. Will it ever be? I don't know. 
But man, this one hurts on a different level if it plays out the way it has the last few weeks. And I'm sorry to end the show on such a downer, but that's about the long and the short of it, man. It's 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 tough. <laughs> Yeah, play with your kids, man. That's the top advice I can give you. All right, our shortest show of the week as we turn the page completely and preview the game tomorrow on the Drive Time Podcast. Then we'll have Taylor Kyles on the Friday show to break this game down further, a very big one up in Gillette Stadium. Until then, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice, our weekly Twitter Spaces show tonight at 8 o'clock every Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Also, the international podcast on the network and the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, Drive Time, and Fish Tank content as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline Cameron. Daddy's coming home.